This is Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. Come on, let's all go to the lobby. Because people are staring at us listening to these shows while we're in the theater. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. The following program is rated U for universal audiences and is considered suitable for listeners of all ages. This is a presentation from Dream Realm Enterprises, where dreams are our reality. Welcome back to Showcase, the anthology series from Dream Realm Enterprises. I am your host, Jeff Isles. This week, we present a fish story called Siren Song, another script from Granville Scott. Siren Song was originally presented in the anthology series The Realm Weaver in the autumn of 2007. This is Granville Scott's eerie take on the classic mermaid legends. In this tale, Ted Gray plays divorcee Tim Demeron, a man who finds himself attracted to a beautiful young woman named Fiona O'Brien, who has a, a fishy past, shall we say. <laughs> Tim gets a lot more than he bargained for when he decides to date this unusual young Irish lass and comes face to face with a terror from the bottom of the sea. And now, Showcase presents Siren Song, written by Granville Scott. If you're looking for excitement in Deltaville, you're looking in the wrong place. About the only time things get exciting around here is when the odd hurricane blows up the bay. And that happens only every 20 years or so. So I wasn't exactly expecting this particular Friday night to be any different. Until I saw something in the road ahead that was just different enough from the color of pavement to wake me out of commuter's autopilot. Damn it! Josh! Josh! Josh, are you okay? What the hell are you doing in the middle of the road? Are you trying to kill yourself, or are you trying to kill me? Uh, don't, don't mind me, Skipper. I've, I've run aground. Well, you can't drop anchor in the middle of Route 33. Come on, get up. It was Josh, Deltaville's resident drunk. I helped him over to the side of the road. I was afraid that if I let him sit down again, he'd wind up sleeping where I dropped him. So I propped him up against a parked truck. Thank you kindly, Skipper. Uh, thanks for the tow. I'll, I'll be okay. No, Josh, you're not going to be okay. You're so drunk you can barely stand, and you smell like a fishnet that's been soaked in beer. Old fishermen never die, Skipper. They, they just smell that way. When was the last time you had anything to eat? Eat? Here. Here's ten dollars. Now you promise me you'll spend this on food. You need to eat, Josh. You're a good man, Skipper. Thank you. And yes, I'll get some food. A man's gotta eat. Thank you. He stumbled off in the direction of the skipjack, Deltaville's all-purpose restaurant and watering hole. I knew they wouldn't serve him alcohol in his condition, but I'd hoped they'd feed him. 
I figured it was worth the ten bucks just to keep him off the road. I drove down to Stingray Point, where I keep my sailboat, the Nancy Lee. She's a vintage west sail cutter that's almost as old as I am. But time is a lot kinder to fiberglass than she is to people. Nancy Lee still looks like a debutante, while I look like I've earned every one of my 47 years. Being an ER doctor may be lucrative, but it ages you. People have a lot of foolish, romantic notions of what it's like to live on a sailboat. When you come right down to it, it's like living in a trailer with water in the basement. I've been living aboard the Nancy Lee since my divorce. She got the house, and the kids, and the new boyfriend, and I got, well, I still have Nancy Lee, my 25,000-pound mistress. It was quiet. Real quiet. Sometimes I like that after a day of commotion at the hospital. But tonight, it just sounded lonesome. The marina was deserted, and the prospect of sitting by myself and drinking myself to sleep didn't have much appeal after my run-in with Josh. So I decided to go back to town and get something to eat. I sat at the bar in the skipjack with a glass of wine and glanced over the menu, which I practically knew by heart. Ditto for the faces around me. When you live in a small town, the scenery doesn't change much, so I was surprised to see an attractive redhead sitting by herself over in the corner. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't mean to run down the local girls, but the fact is, most of them who are old enough to interest me are missing a few teeth. So if I really wanted to pick up women, Deltaville would be the last place I'd look. Talk about a breath of fresh air. This woman might as well have had a neon sign above her head that said, Not from around here. I guess I must have been staring, because she looked up and caught me looking at her. She was the only one in the place, other than me, who was drinking wine. She smiled and arched an eyebrow. That was all the invitation I needed. I hadn't taken more than a step in her direction when somebody grabbed my elbow. Hey, what the... I changed course, Skipper, if I was you. There's shoals all around that one, there is. Josh, let go my arm. What's the matter with you? She's a bad one, she is. I know her type. She's not for you, Skipper. Josh, you old rapscallion. Are you trying to tell me you saw her first? I'm warning you to stay clear. She's not what she appeared... Now look, Josh. I appreciate your concern, but buzz off, okay? I think I'm old enough to handle this. Don't say I didn't want Hi. Your friend doesn't seem to like me. Josh? Josh is not a friend. He's more of a fixture. I'm Tim Damerin. Fiona O'Brien. She reached up and shook my hand, and I noticed something I hadn't seen before. A wheelchair. She was sitting in a wheelchair. Won't you join me? We've been working all day and I'm so tired of talking to myself. I'm about to start talking to the wall just to have some conversation. Too late to back out now. My morals may be suspect, but there's nothing wrong with my manners. Thanks. 
Well, I'd ask if you come here often, but I know that you don't because I do. <laughs> We're bound to be neighbors then, in a town this small. I've just rented the old Selman house over on Jackson Creek. Vacationing? Deltaville's nice, but it's not exactly a tourist mecca. You might call it an academic vacation. I'm on sabbatical from University College Dublin, and I needed some place quiet to work on my book. Sabbatical? So, you're a college professor? European literature. I've gotten a grant to edit an anthology of early medieval Irish texts. I've done all the research at this point. Now I just have the boring part, which is cobbling the thing together. That sounds like the boring part of my job. I get to cobble people back together. What? You're a marriage counselor or something? <laughs> no, no. I don't do relationships. I'd be sued for malpractice if I tried to do that. I'm a doctor. I patch people up at the emergency room at the regional hospital up the road. A doctor? Emergency medical? That must be fascinating if you have the stomach for it. Please, let's not mention work and stomach in the same sentence. I've learned never to talk about work at the dinner table. Speaking of dinner, have you eaten? Not yet. The crab cakes here are good. Most everything else on the menu is edible, if not exactly memorable. Real plain vanilla home cooking. But it's cheap and hot and filling and keeps the locals coming back. Here, let me show you the menu. We talked, we drank wine, we laughed a lot. Fiona laughed at just about every other thing that I said, which made me feel like I hadn't lost all my social graces. She was so charming, it was easy to forget her handicap. <laughs> oh, Tim, that is brilliant. You're almost as witty as you are handsome. Well, you're almost as scintillating as you are beautiful. Push. I haven't been beautiful since I was about four. Well, I haven't been handsome, ever. But I'm just as vain as if I was, so I'll take a compliment whenever I can get one. They don't come very often at my age. At your age? You couldn't be much older than I am. And I'm 32. My dear, you are too kind. I own neckties that are older than you are. <laughs> Fiona picked at a salad, and I confess I don't remember what I ordered or if I ate it. We were having so much fun that we barely noticed that the place was clearing out and the staff was glaring at us. I called for our tab and apologized for monopolizing her evening. Don't be silly, Tim. This has been wonderful. I don't think I've laughed so much since I was a schoolgirl. My pleasure. Can I give you a lift, or did you drive? I drove. Come on out and see my van. It's new, so I'm terribly proud of it. Sure. Here, allow me. May I? Please. I wheeled Fiona out to the parking lot. Her white minivan was parked next to my Saab. It appeared to have been specifically modified with hand controls. She unlocked the door, and I opened it for her. Can I give you a hand? No, thanks. I can manage. Fiona vaulted into the driver's seat and, with a single smooth motion, reached down with her left hand, snapped the wheelchair closed, and swung it across her to set it in the passenger seat. If she was trying to impress me, she succeeded. That wheelchair had to weigh 50 pounds, and she had one-armed it like it was made of cardboard. Wow, I must say you're good at that. Here's a practice. So, Dr. Dameron, where are you off to? Back to my boat. Nothing else happening in Deltaville tonight. Your boat? You live on a boat? What kind? It's a sailboat. A 32-foot cutter. 
A cutter! No kidding! My father owned a Bristol. I've always loved cutters. It's such a pretty rig. A Bristol? That's a nice boat. You like boats? I love them. I've spent my whole life around boats. It's one of the reasons I came here. I'd love to see yours. Now? You'd like to see it now? Why not? Like you said, there's nothing else happening in Deltaville tonight. Lead on. I'll follow. She didn't even wait for an answer. I jumped in my car and drove down to Stingray Point. She followed in the van. I pulled up and parked and got out of the car. By the time I got to her van, she was already out and in the wheelchair. I usually like to be self-reliant, but I'll let you be a gentleman and wheel me down. Uneven surfaces are a bit of a pill. Certainly. It's not far. See? That's Nancy Lee on this end. There? She's beautiful, Tim. Well, she's nothing special, except to me. Cost me a fortune to keep her afloat. But all you women are like that. Careful, sailor. Just kidding. Do you single haunt her? I can in a pinch, but it's more fun having crew. Sailing by yourself is kind of like going to the movies by yourself. I know what you mean. She sounded sad when she said that, but I didn't want to spoil the moment by dwelling on it. I wheeled her up to the stern of the Nancy Lee and parked her chair where she could get a good look. Nancy Lee? A girlfriend? My mother. I have a boat. I can't afford a girlfriend. Well, she's lovely. Permission to come aboard, Captain? Well, uh, sure. I guess. Here, let me lower these lifelines and figure out how we're going to work this. This was unexpected, and I had no idea how I was going to get her aboard. But I stepped aboard and released the lifeline snaps and had just turned forward to clear the deck of lines when... Oh my god! Fiona! Fiona! The wheelchair sat empty on the pier. The black water below it barely showed a ripple. There wasn't time to get a light or a boat hook. I was going to have to go in. What the? <laughs> Before I could even register what was happening, I got a face full of salt water. I shook the water out of my eyes and saw Fiona sitting on the transom swim platform. She had been wearing a long skirt before, which was now gone. In its place were silver scales and a fluke tail. If you don't close your mouth, Tim, the next splash is going to drown you. Fiona, holy whatever. You're a mermaid. As the American woman say, well, duh. <laughs> now, are you going to come aboard and offer me a drink? Or do I have to go below and scrounge for myself? She didn't wait for an answer. She flipped over the transom and disappeared down the companionway like a seal. I followed her aboard, more out of reflex than thought. My brain just wasn't working fast enough to keep up. Fiona was curled up in the salon on the starboard berth. She was still wearing her blouse, which clung to her in a way that was more revealing than concealing. And she looked better soaking wet than most women I know who spent all day getting decked out. Uh, Fiona... Yes, Tim? Uh, we need to talk. 
Oh, Tim, you're not going to hurt my feelings now, are you? On the contrary, it's precisely because I don't want to hurt your feelings. This has been a delightful evening, and I don't want to spoil it by either embarrassing myself or insulting you. Oh, Tim. No, look. I've spent a lovely evening with a beautiful woman who I thought was disabled. And being a gentleman, I politely overlooked your disability, since it's bad manners to call attention to the affliction of others. But now I come to discover that you're, how should I put this, differently abled. You've suddenly made me feel like I'm not as sophisticated as I thought. Oh, <laughs> Tim. <laughs> oh, great. I've done it again. Why is it that every evening I spend with a woman ends up with somebody crying? Fiona, please. I'm sorry. No, Tim. <laughs> I'm the one who needs to apologize. I sprung this on you unexpectedly, which wasn't fair. Well, what else could you do? It's not as if you could drop hints until I gradually caught on. I'm glad you understand. I could tell when I met you that you're a kind and understanding man, and that's why I decided to tell you. As you probably can guess, there are not a lot of people I can confide in. I can't imagine. No, you can't imagine. People have a lot of stupid fairy tale ideas about my kind. But the fact is, the few men that I've ever been honest with have treated me either like a circus freak, or some sort of bizarre conquest that you read about in sleazy magazines. Yikes! I can see how that might put a damper on your love life. Don't get me started. Let's just say I don't get asked out on many second dates. Look, I've ruined your evening. Maybe I'd better go. Don't you dare. I've behaved like a total boor, and you need to give me an opportunity to grovel at your feet. Uh, flukes. Anyway, I can't ask you out on a second date until we've had our first date, and I'm not sure if this counts. <laughs> Poor dear. I've made you uncomfortable and I'm sorry. But why don't you let me make it up to you? Do you have any wine aboard? Oh, I may have a bottle or two stowed away. Red or white? Either is fine. Open whichever you like and pour a glass for both of us. I opened a bottle of Bordeaux I'd been saving for a special occasion and poured a couple of glasses. This was beginning to look more like a date than a visit, and I wasn't sure which set of rules I should be following. Thank you, Doctor. Now, come over here and sit by me. You look tired. I am tired. Here, stretch out. No, stretch out full. All the way. I'm going to give you a back row. A uh, back? Don't argue with me now. Just do it. There. Now, let's take off your shirt and stretch out. Good. How's that? Oh, heaven. Oh, yeah. Would you like me to sing to you? Hmm. Please. Oh, my dream,
That's lovely. Is it Irish? I hush now. It was so good being touched. It had been a long time, and Fiona had strong hands that felt like they could wring all the stress out of my body. Between the wine and the massage and the singing, I was drifting in that delicious space between waking and sleeping when I realized that something was wrong. Her hands suddenly felt cold. They ran up my back and around my neck. Then I felt her arms circle around my neck as she climbed onto my back. I rolled over to take her in my arms and opened my eyes. Fiona! It wasn't Fiona. The thing that was sitting on my chest looked more like a giant squid than anything else. Two of its tentacles were wrapped around my neck, while the rest were busy twining around my arms and legs. It was choking the life out of me, while its cold, lidless eyes stared into mine, and its jaws opened and moved toward my face. Jesus, the thing was planning to eat me. shook one arm free, grabbed the nearest thing I could reach, a fire extinguisher. I hit it hard, twice between the eyes. The thing barely flinched. Before I could swing again, it tore the fire extinguisher from my hand and flung it away where it crashed against the bulkhead. That probably saved my life. The fire extinguisher exploded, spraying foam into the creature's eyes. I got out from under the thing and made a break for the companionway. I was halfway up the ladder when a tentacle snaked around my ankle and yanked me to the floor. As it dragged me past the galley, I grabbed the oven door with one hand and with the other hand grabbed the first handle I came to on the knife block, a cleaver. I severed the tentacle that was holding me but never even made it to my feet. In an instant, the thing was all over me. It yanked the cleaver from my hand and wrapped all of its tentacles around my chest and shoulders. I stiff-armed those terrible jaws to keep them away from my throat, but it was two arms against eight. Tim, darling, you don't look so upset. A girl's got to eat. A shadow appeared in the companionway. I looked up and saw Josh coming down the ladder, a harpoon in his hand. Without a word, he raised the harpoon and plunged it into the creature's back. <laughs> It appeared only to enrage the thing. It yanked the harpoon out and grabbed Josh, dragging him to the floor. But it was distracted just enough for me to get a hand free. Witch? Thought you'd seen the last of me, had you? I'm going to... The thing wrapped a tentacle around Josh's throat, choking him off. With my free hand, I grabbed the edge of the nav table and dragged the three of us toward it if I could only get inside it. Josh had grabbed a boat hook and was trying to stab the thing in the eyes. I managed to open the nav table and pulled out my flare pistol. The thing made a lunge for my face and I fired it directly into the thing's mouth.
Even after that, the thing died slowly. I could see it boiling inside through those soulless eyes. At last, it gave a final twitch and was still. Even dead, it was hard for Josh and me to free ourselves from its grip. Well, Josh, I never thought I'd hear myself saying this, but boy, am I glad to see you. Usually, you see one of them things, and it's the last thing you see. Damn, what the hell is it? Sea hopping. Ancient Greeks called them sirens. They can take any shape, but what you're looking at is the real thing. Yuck. Whatever it is, it's ruined my day and trashed my boat. Are you okay? I've been better. You got anything to drink aboard? My onboard wine cellar had been destroyed in the fight, but I had a bottle of scotch that I kept for medicinal purposes. What the hell, he had earned it. Scotch okay? Fine. You want a glass? No. I passed him the bottle. He downed about half of it before setting it down. Ah, that's better. Jesus, what a mess. What the hell do I do with this thing, Josh? Take it out to sea and dump it? No, that's the last thing you want to do. These things are like jellyfish. If any part of them makes it back into the water, it'll regenerate and grow back. You won't be safe on land. Oz. What then? You'll have to burn it. Barry, come on, I'll help you. We wrestled the carcass into a sailbag and dragged it ashore. Burning was out because I didn't want to draw attention, so we dragged it into the woods and buried it. That should do it. Let's cover this with some leaves. That'll do. Looks like we're done here. Uh, not yet. Ta an osha seo dorsha ista an gaelth i indro erd ta an tisherich na sisam isna spirthai goharde ach a baha na detonta is fa behel na tra siud chuaib meri shinde is i i nadiet an ern shana Josh, I didn't know you were Irish. I'm not. Oh, was that a prayer? Something like that. Let's go. Josh, if you don't mind my asking, how did you learn about these things? You don't want to know, Skipper. You don't want to know.
When we got back to the marina, I could tell that something wasn't right. But it took me a few seconds to realize what it was. Josh, the wheelchair, it, it's gone. And the van's gone too. What the hell? Not good, Skipper. Are you sure we got all of it? Oh my god, the tentacle. I cut one of its arms off. Come on. We both ran for the boat. When we got aboard, we went below to search for the tentacle. It was gone. Josh lifted up a floor hatch and peered into the bilge. See? See there? That trail of slime? There's enough seawater there to do the job. She's gone, Skipper. She's gone, and I hope for your sake she ain't planning to come back. Josh picked up the bottle of scotch, drained the rest of it, wiped his mouth with his shirt, then, without a word, climbed up the companionway ladder to the cockpit. Josh, wait. Where are you going? I got things to do, Skipper. But look, I haven't even had a chance to thank you for helping me. You followed me here and risked your life to save me from that thing. And for what? I mean, we're not even friends. <laughs> Josh stood in the transom, his back to me. Something about the light, the moonlight off the water, seemed to shimmer around him. He turned around to face me. You're right, Skip. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Who risked their life for a ten-dollar supper, eh? <laughs> the shimmer around Josh got brighter. It was almost hard to look at him. Before my eyes, I could see him changing. Changing. Fact is, it wasn't you. It was her I was after. If it had been anyone else, I would have left you to her. But there's some history between me and her. And I wasn't about to let her muscle in on my turf. Josh now stood before me on powerful flukes with silver scales. I could feel my mouth working, but no sounds were coming out. Deltaville is my town, Skipper. And there's only room enough in this town for one of us. Josh gave me a wink and leaned over, pressing his face right into mine. So remember, Skipper, the next time you decide to pick up somebody who looks helpless, they may not be as helpless as they look. And with that, he disappeared over the side. There was a flash of silver, a ripple of black water, and he was gone. Hagi 
You have been listening to Siren Song, which was written by Granville Scott, and which starred in order of appearance, Ted Gray as Tim Dameron, Jeff Niles as Josh, and Laura Post as Fiona O'Brien. The incidental music was provided by Kevin McLeod. The associate producer was Kay Wu. The post-production editor was Danny Cutler. The sound designer and executive producer was Jonathan Patrick Russell. The script editor, producer, and director was Kyle Bors. The series, Dream Realm Showcase, was created by Jonathan Patrick Russell, and the copyright is held by Dream Realm Enterprises. Any rebroadcast or reproduction of this program without the express written permission of Dream Realm Enterprises is strictly prohibited. Thank you for listening. We invite you to visit us on the web at dreamrealmsite.com. And if you'd like to email us with any of your comments or questions, you may do so at darkbuilding1 at yahoo.com. This story was originally presented as a part of the anthology series The Realm Weaver in 2007. The copyright to this program is held by Dream Realm Enterprises 2012, all rights reserved. This has been Jeff Niles for Dream Realm Showcase. Join us next time for an all-new, incredible story, A Voice in the Dark. Coming soon here on Showcase from Dream Realm Enterprises. You have been listening to a production of Dream Realm Enterprises. Copyright 2012. All rights reserved. Hi there. Are you a fan of all things horror? Yeah? You are? Well, in that case, find Tuesday Terrors, which is the mutual audio feed that comes out on a Tuesday, believe it or not. Shock horror, I know. But if you subscribe there, you'll find amazing horror fiction audio in your player every Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday Terrors. Subscribe to the Mutual Audio Network. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.